Welcome to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Careview. Every week, a guest and I will be discussing an album that we both fucking love. We're going to find out how the record or band entered our lives. We're going to do some track-by-track observations and, of course, any other thoughts that come our way. Warning, these are conversations held by adults, and sometimes bad words will appear unedited. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Today, we will be taking on Henry's Dream, which is the seventh album released by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It came out on April 17th, 1992 on Mute Records and was produced by David Briggs. You need to check the other mic today because we have an old friend and early music guru for me, Steve Pettit, sitting there. Tell the folks a little bit about you, Steve. Uh, I'm afraid I can't. That's classified information. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am uh, about 10 years older than Derek, and uh, I kept repeatedly failing in high school. And so I was let back uh, an extra you know, nine years. And so we had a few classes together that we uh, messed around and didn't do much work in. It was a controversial decision to wait around for me like that, Steve, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate that you did. So. Well, you know, you, you, you know that some, somehow, some way you've got to get the music knowledge to the people. And I knew that was the way I was getting it out there to the people was by, you know, Usher you, ushering you into musical taste. <laughs> and I appreciate it. So. <laughs> it was a big help, and I'm sure there would be another episode where I could talk a bit about that. But uh, yeah, for you, for those listening out there, hopefully somebody is. Uh, Steve was one of the first people I knew. Now, Steve and I are both, we're old. We're in our mid-40s. We'll just leave it at that. We grew up in a time, or at least in a place, where you could look at somebody and probably guess exactly what type of music they listened to based on the clothes they wore, their hair looked like this kind of thing. Uh, Steve was one of the first people I knew who defied any type of categorization when it came to music, was listening to everything. I don't want to say listening to everything, but listening to a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff other people probably didn't even really have access or knowledge of at the time. I always thought that was pretty special at that point, that you were the only guy I knew who was listening to Ministry and Willie Nelson kind of thing. <laughs> Since I'll be talking about this album with somebody else, the, the one thing that I always thank you for is you giving me Jane's Addiction's Nothing Shocking, which I took <laughs> home, gave me a tape of it, I took it home, I listened to it, I gave it back to you and said I didn't like it, and then you gave it back to me and said, now listen to it for real this time and get back to it. <laughs> and so I took it home and actually really listened to it and fell in love with that record, and there was a lot of... Uh, uh, good stuff about that. At the time, I was into heavy metal, and so between Steve giving me nothing shocking and somebody else giving me the real thing by Faith No More and hearing about Ministries, the mind is a terrible thing to taste. For me, those are the three albums that got me away from just listening to to metal because they were heavy without being metal. And so that's my eternal debt to Steve Pettit was the no take this home and really listen to it, dickhead. I appreciate <laughs> well, that. well, you know, uh, pre Dark Ages, uh, the pre Internet where your your home musical taste was it was either whatever was getting shoved down your throat because it was what your peers were listening to or what you were getting jammed on the radio or whatever or you were somebody who was just interested in finding out what everybody else wasn't listening to and that you found that by whatever means necessary whether it was finding some kind of old publication that you know mentioned some obscure record you'd never heard of and you had little chance of finding in podunk 
place like Daytona Beach, Florida, <laughs> but you tried to find it anyways. <laughs> like Obscure Mentions are seeing uh, the t-shirts that people you liked what they were wearing uh, sure. and sometimes finding they So there's a lot of different ways and it was much harder back then. They were not necessarily the good old days, but good times. You, you had to work for it. You had to work for getting, getting your uh, music at that point. <laughs> yeah. The way we've been starting the show is how did this album enter my life? And I'll be honest, I don't remember exactly how this particular album so I'm going to talk about Nick Cave just in general he's one of those artists that came into my life a little bit late but fortunately not too late I was working at the long lamented Vinyl Fever at the time and a co-worker had his own band and I really enjoyed their CD and we shared a love for for Johnny Cash and for Leonard Cohen and he was really into Nick Cave and, and that showed a lot in his writing and so he just made some suggestions for me and I, I really liked Nick Cave almost from the beginning. Musically, Cave can be a little hit or miss for me. Uh, I still consider him to be one of my favorite artists. And I wasn't really sure which album I was going to choose because there's about three fucking love. This is one of them. And I'll be honest with you, Steve, I chose this particular album hoping you would choose it because I remember reading <laughs> somewhere, seriously, I remember reading somewhere on Facebook about how much you love this record. And so that's ultimately why I went with this one over, let's say, Live Seeds or a, a couple others that I had thought about. So this was a little bit of a plant, I'll be honest with you. I fucking love this record, but uh, I was hoping you would choose it so you and I could talk about it because we've talked a lot about different types of music. I don't know that you and I have ever talked about Nick Cave. Tell me, how did this album or how did Nick Cave enter your life well uh how nick cave entered my life was uh around the time of tender prey uh they they were really blowing up college radio wise and that was at the top of like the alternative and college charts so it was getting really heavily pumped and the mercy seat was getting a lot of play on 120 minutes and stuff and, and i was like this fucking guy this is what everybody's like losing their shit over like <laughs> I, I just did not care for that song at all it was just it, it was that it's just the whole thing like a, a lot of stuff that i would hear at that time like where uh somebody had like a really deep baritone almost never appealed to me never took like immediately so things like joy division or nick cave in the bad seeds or you know crash test dummies and stuff like that like it, it would just always be like nope <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh it was actually that i saw wings of desire which is a 1987 film by Vim Benders. A lot of people may know this. It's on Criterion Collection. And Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds are in that. Features the song, the Carney song, prominently from Your Funeral, My Trial. And so when I heard that song, I got Your Funeral, My Trial. And, and that was actually what got me into all the other stuff. I ended up getting Tender Prey and The Good Son from the Camelot cutout bin at the Volusia Mall. Uh, <laughs> I paid, you know, $6.99 for each of them or $5.99 or whatever. And, you know, so then I had those three albums already by the time that Henry's Dream came out. So I was waiting for Henry's Dream when it came out. So it, it really, like, I think that almost 
dictates like why it, it's the one that I was waiting for. By the time that Let Love In came out, I did not, and and still to this day, I'm not really a big fan of that record. And it's just funny because Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds don't themselves don't care for Henry's Dream because of how it turned out, how uh, working with Briggs turned out, and what his vision of the music was versus what Cave had originally intended. And I, I think it's one of those unfortunate things that like even after time that the artist seemingly has not gone back and seen why the other person chose the direction that they did. I, I think he's still just dissatisfied that it didn't, that it wasn't this more stripped down acoustic thing because he had heard some, a version of Brazilian uh, acoustic music in the street, these street musicians who were doing these like really intense narratives. And that's what inspired him to do this album, these narrative songs. And I think he wanted a more acoustic, but edgy stripped down sound. And, and they brought David Briggs in because they thought he wouldn't interfere, that he would just basically like get them down and get it as as is because mute was pressuring them to use an outside producer you know because they were on the on the upswing after the good sun and they were like oh well that was a really pretty album let's get them with a real producer and <laughs> and he gave this big grand sound and they were just like having none of it and i think it's really unfortunate that is weird because i have read a bit about this and it's funny because i think let love in is probably the first nick cave i listened to all the way through i think that was just because it was available the guy that worked there would hide nick cave stuff in case somebody came in asking <laughs> about it so he could be like i have it ready for you and so he had a bunch of things ready for me and i think let love in just happened to be that first one while it's not what i go for like when i'm in the mood for nick cave i don't necessarily go for that particular record uh even though i, I do still like it while we're on that when you when you're in a nick cave mood is this the album that you go for it's pretty much uh either that or the good son tender prey like that trilogy i also think that uh the boatman's call and liar of orpheus abattoir blues are some high points as well but i think that that trilogy is pretty much what stands for me as definitive because it's when i was in it in the thick of it so to speak i, I was in it the most and not to say those other records aren't great but it's just it was you know like my own personal frenzied feelings about it weren't were never at that same point you know i think you have that when you listen to when you listen to musicians that you really get into and like there is definitely a peak period for you that where it's it's you're never gonna like it more than that i didn't have that like i liked nick cave but nick cave was a part of a broader thing because i was listening to a, a a small handful of things it was funny because it, it was like a really good point of my life and I was listening to fairly depressing music. It was one of those that didn't quite match my mood, but it was great. I just dove right in. I like a lot of stuff. I, I find sometimes I go for uh, No More Shall We Part, where he's really much more into that crooning. And I think sure. that's maybe his most consistent album. Uh, and I don't mean that in a, in a good way or a bad way. Just I think there's a certain uniformity to the songs that you don't often see with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes if I just put something on to put it on it may be that record but if not if i'm looking to to get pumped up a little bit this would be the one i would grab i think there's a there's just a certain intensity to this that they brought to the table that yeah they, they didn't really on any of the other ones um to me afterward like let love in and and murder ballads just to single two separate ones out that i think have similar elements to them i 
it it feels almost more like uh, you guys already did this and you did it better. <laughs> <laughs> and I I really like murder ballads. At times, there's there's some some of my all time favorites are on that record. But yeah, it, it, there is something slippery about that one. As we take a look at the track by track analysis, one of the things that I've been doing is talking about album openers because that's obviously an important one. There's the call to action. There's the teaser. There's the setup. And then there's the blueprints. So those are the four that I've come up with. Now, Steve, I know you're a big music guy. So if you think of something else along the way, I'd love to hear it. Uh, We're going to start here with uh, Papa Won't Leave You, Henry, uh, opening track. And for me, this is a blueprint opener. I think this song, you get the, the tone, the overall tone of the album you can really hear in this record. The sounds, the themes are all there. And plus, this is just a fucking great song. And I think this is such a great way to open up this record. And it shows a lot of the things that I think Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds do well. I think there's a great vocal performance. And I think he can just sing things (laughs) that I don't think a lot of people can sing. Uh, Not that they couldn't do it, but just it wouldn't be the same. And my favorite line, uh, and the way he sings it in this one, is when it's on uh, and it's onto a guilt and it's into the fucking fray and the walls ran red around me a warm arterial spray and i don't know how many vocalists could really pull off the the phrase a warm arterial spray in the way he does with it's like a hook <laughs> uh what are what do you think about this song uh, i would agree with you that it it is the blueprint because it's basically laying the groundwork telling you what's what's what to expect i i would actually amend this one and say that it it is actually the the track one that does punch you in the face so it doesn't even set you up for something else it's just <laughs> there to punch you in the face right there uh and uh i don't i don't know if you had ever read anything about this album but uh this was uh how this song was developed was he was singing the song as a lullaby to his son luke when his son was born and he eventually developed the lyrics that he did but it's just that, that it originally started out as a lullaby to his son and i uh i had briefly i told my wife i wanted to name our first son henry just so i could sing the song to him even though i think it's <laughs> it's sung a little bit ironically but uh she she didn't bite so <laughs> it's hard to believe <laughs> yeah weird i think there's a late like a intensity that just uh, starts from the outset. It's like you can feel the you can feel the tension from the beginning, and then it's just like, well, this doesn't seem like it's going to be good. I, and I don't mean like good music. I just mean like everything is going to unfold in in the story, you know. So I I think I was twenty years old when this album came out. So you know, you're probably not listening to too many other things that, of this intensity when you're twenty honestly don't think I knew anybody else listening to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in my peer group. Uh, I think I was making Greg Strong listen to them because we were roommating at the point at that point. So he got into them. <laughs> yeah, this is always one I, I wish I would have heard this band with this album at this time. I think a little bit earlier, I may not have been ready for it. And a little bit later, I don't know. But part of me wishes 1992 Derek heard this record when I was listening to, you know, Faith No More's Angel Dust 
and a few other things. I think that would have been a good time. There's a handful of things that, you know, God, I wish I would have caught it a little bit earlier. This is, even though I, I feel like I got it at a good time, I really feel like I could have uh, entered right around here. I actually was at the time, it, because it was one of my heavy rotation albums in 92, I used to just randomly like bust out Loom of the Land. Like, I would just be singing it randomly. Oh, baby, please don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I, I was playing a lot of racquetball, and I would just like sing that while I was like serving. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to that in a moment. So on to uh, track two, I had a dream, Joe. What are your thoughts on this one, Steve? I feel like it's uh, it's a necessary song to the cycle of the album. It, it, it kind of is a perfect second track because it, it's a break from the intensity of that first song. And it, it's like, you know, a, a, no, I, I don't want to say a lull because I don't think that's the would be the right term. I'm not sure what I'm reaching for here, but, you know, it's co- coasting into that third track. But um, it's it it holds its own as as a track and, you know, and Cave's lyrics and the imagery that he's that he's putting forth there. It's probably one of the lesser tracks on the album. Maybe like that and Jack the Ripper are probably like the two like lesser tracks to me from the rest of the record because everything else is is like such a high. I think it it, it has a place uh, along with Christina the Astonishing where it's, a, like I said, a lull from the intensity. It does still have an intensity and you can hear that original notion that he was going for of like the intense acoustic narrative type of thing even though i i don't think i've ever heard that particular uh brazilian version of the of it that he had heard that inspired him i I've, I've listened to a lot of brazilian music but i've never heard that particular style that apparently inspired him what i read about just where it's like kids with like a one or a two string guitar just going a little bit crazy and there was something about the non-musicality of it that appealed to him at the time Mm -hmm. and i don't know it and i don't obviously hear it here because this is a song that i like now but it took me a little bit to get into i think because there is that drop down and just with the the way the organ starts at the beginning and the way he sings like the 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 cadence that he has at the beginning i was expecting this to go into one of his more circusy kind of songs like like you mentioned the carney something like that i was expecting something a little more but then it comes in with that bit of a shuffling beat and the harder edge guitar and i think my brain always assumes this song is going one way and i forget it's going in a different way (laughs) and once once i have reconciled that it's like oh i like this tune it's a good it's you know it's not a um uh, on the top of the album for me, but I think it's a good tune. I think there's a desperation in his vocal delivery, and that's really what sells the song. It is. It's somebody who's who is frantic and like and and needs calming by their good friend, you know. And and there's just all, all this stuff that's going on. Like he's overwhelmed by the the visions that have come to him. On to track three, straight to you. This is the the ballad slot, I think, in the album. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. I like the song. It feels like, for me, this is more of the, this is put here for a reason. I see what you're saying with I Had a Dream, but for me, it's always that, okay, you, you need that slower one and track, 
you know, three or four somewhere. So you're not just build up, up, up or down. So it goes Papa Dream straight. And I think there is a nice flow with that. This was the lead off single. This was the song that got promoted heavily with with the album. Uh, you know, I, I think it's one of his like grand majestic ballads. It's it's a great little love song. I mean, it, it was definitely something that it, when I was getting into this album, it was like that. Yeah, I love that song. It's it's a great a great ballad, great love song, and you know, I I'm definitely feeling what he's what he's delivering here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think Nick Cave reminds me a little bit of Tom Waits in that way. Like even he has when he wants to be noisy, when he wants to be whatever, but he also can give you a really a straightforward ballad that doesn't feel like oh, I need to go make some money now. Mm-hmm. It's I think there's like legitimate emotion in it. And, uh, and this is one of those songs that I think, because uh, he, he has a really strong voice. And I think when he puts it to, to use like this, it's, it's good stuff. I mean, I don't have a ton to say about it, but I, I do like the approach that those guys take, let's say. Yeah. Track four, Brother, My Cump is Empty. This is one of my favorites on the album. I, I really, I love this song. And as you had mentioned a little bit earlier, I think Nick Cave really comes from that storytelling approach a lot of times for his songs maybe not every time obviously but he is from that tradition and this is a song i could i could almost see johnny cash doing this song justice he has a writer mentality uh, uh even before he was you know even before he had written and the ass on the angel which i believe he had already written that by this point but um i think he just always had like a kind of writer mentality sensibility like an author sensibility and would deliver stories you know in in that fashion he was interested in that tradition as you were saying yeah so and obviously he is one of those uh performers who cares a lot about like early american traditional you know like blues or or old folk and obviously he comes from australia and there's a whole other set of stuff that i'm sure he takes from there but this is just one of those again i can see some kind of you know could even be merle haggard or somebody just country music legend guy doing this song it would be a different song but i think it would still be a good one and i love the line i'm the captain of my pain Mm -hmm. i think that says that tells me everything i need to know about this character (laughs) the the line that tells me everything i need to know is throw a dollar on the bar and i'll kiss my ass ass. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and that was the next line i love but that's so great he finally he spent the first three quarters of this song begging for something and he finally gets it and then he's an asshole it's like i know this guy i have been in a bar with this guy he's the guy who like you bum a smoke off of and he's like you want me to smoke it for you too yeah (laughs) did you have anything more you wanted to say i do just have like a little uh, a little anecdote that i want to let let you know about with that song is actually part of i have a friend out here we've been friends for a long time one day we were uh, going to he he's a big charles bukowski fan and we were going to do the trip the sojourn out to Bukowski's grave and just have a day of it we drove by his old neighborhood in normandy then we went to a little crummy dive bar that we were sure he probably drank at, you know, to like, my friend was like, oh, we, we got to have like one before we go. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. We, we never left that bar. We, and, and to this day still have never been to Bukowski's grave. And this is you know, like <laughs> eight or nine years ago. 
And uh, so what happened was that that day I made a mix CD called A Drunk Companion, and it was all drinking songs. This song was not on the first volume, but it was on the third volume, which these were made as sort of like the subsequent volumes were sort of made as like, oh yeah, because he would goad me and be like, well, that last one was pretty good. There's no way you're ever going to make a one that's better comp than that one, you know? And so I, it was like a, oh yeah thing. Uh, I think the brother, my cup is empty was on the third volume, which was a double disc. And I think it was 50 tracks, <laughs> which I gave to him on his birthday. So it's just funny that, you know, it, it was this one that was just like, chock full with like all the colors of the rainbow and that was the one that i chose to put the nick cave song on because you know there's got to be a nick cave drinking song somewhere in there oh definitely (laughs) i think we're up to uh six volumes of that at this point so one one is a double but six volume drinking companion series <laughs> you'll have to give me the playlist at some point for one of those so. oh sure yeah yeah i can do that this leads us on to christina the astonishing what are your thoughts on this one this was a this was one that to me in 1992 when i was hearing it i just always found it to be a, a strange little song i didn't quite know what to make of it at the time it's sort of like a i i think i like this i i'm just not sure uh and then I'll, of course i also just had my own personal thing of like a several people named Christina who I had, you know, some sort of obsession with. So there was that too. I think it's a, I I really like the atmosphere of this song and it is a spooky song. Uh, Again, it's also like respite uh, from, from the intensity that, you know, Papa won't leave you Henry and I had a dream and brother, my compass empty is giving to you and is going to come again in that back half of the album. It seems like it's this lull, but it's one that if, if you're really paying attention to it, no, this song is going to make the, the hairs stand on your arm. <laughs> and so I, I think it's a, it's a subtle song, but it, it's, it's very spooky and atmospheric and I can't really think of any other song like it to be honest there's no other song in his catalog and there's definitely nothing else on the album like it i have a hard time with this one sometimes because i think it's a great vocal performance maybe one of the strongest vocal performances on on the album even though the song is just very different a lot of times the backing music doesn't do a lot for me it's good my thing is i think sometimes cave can be a little droney at times and repetitive and i know that's clearly on purpose but i think sometimes i wish the song had a little bit more of a hook in there somewhere. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need a dance breakdown or anything. But <laughs> this song, and I always, this is another one that I sometimes I think it's going to be one of those little more buzzy droney songs. But it doesn't go into that full repetitive dirge like he can, especially a little bit earlier in his career. That's one that I like revisiting the song because I feel this is one I don't listen to closely very often. And so in preparation for this, I listen to like this is a cool little tune that i think you said just i think placed fairly well on the album needing that break because he does manage to ratchet up the intensity quite a few times and you need some dispensation i think that it's uh 
it's like a church dirge if for anybody out there who grew up Catholic or whatever. Whatever the organ player would be playing that while everybody's going up the aisle to have the body of Christ and all that. That's that's kind of what that the music reminds me of. It's like almost like a, a church-like dirge because of the, the story it's telling and all that kind of thing. I feel like it doesn't rise above a certain level just for that purpose like his his vocal delivery does obviously once you once you get to the crescendo of the story the reveal is like (gasps) and he gives that to you in the delivery so i really like the way that the song works but i I definitely think that it's like the dark horse of the record for sure should we then go on to uh when i first came to town this is where i feel uh conway savage's backing vocals uh help a lot with this particular one this is uh Definitely one of the highlights of the record for me. Actually, the the next three are like the trifecta of the record for me. That uh, as much as I like everything else, it's it's really all about these three songs. <laughs> this particular song to this day gives me chills every time I hear it. Just when he gets to when the part, oh Lord, every goddamn turn I take, I feel the noose and I fear the stake. That whole segment there is like, I, I, I actually just got like a little whoosh, like just, just saying the lyrics. <laughs> so it's interesting that, you know, like to me, that a song that I've listened to for 27 years now, but it actually like still has this effect on me. And I think that that's like what a powerful song this is. And I also think that if, you're someone who has ever had any kind of black sheep background, whether it's in, in your family, in school, in your friend circle, or just amongst your peers or whatever. It's like there's a there's something in this that you that you can relate to, even if it's just the notion of like everyone else can go fuck themselves. And <laughs> <laughs> and there's but there's this astonishing beauty to this to this track. It's definitely a highlight of of the record for me. So we're going to move on then to track seven, John Finn's wife. Did you not have anything to say about it? No, I'm going to, you, I, I like the song. I, I love, I love the backing. I love the backing vocals of this song, but I don't, I think you, you had everything to say about this song. I like cave when he's a little bit heavier, mm-hmm. but not, you know, there, like there's a sweet spot for me with Nick cave. Mm-hmm. I read the title. I can't think of what this song sounds like. And then when I listen to it, it's like, oh, right. I like this one. But it's just, and, I, and a lot of it comes to just those the backing vocals. So, and I think this was Conway Savage's first album with the band. Yes, it was. He really brings that different vocal something. You know, it's just nice. It sweetens up what Cave's trying to do, and that's what's always kind of drawn to me back to this song. Yeah, Conway, Conway Savage and Thomas Weidler had just joined the band on the tour for The Good Son. Kid Congo Powers had left the band. Track seven, John Finn's wife, and for me, this is uh, the sub subject matter, the approach, the build. This is everything you expect from a Nick Cave song right here. (laughs) And I know this is a touchy subject and one that you mentioned at the intro. And so this would be the only time I say it, but I prefer the Live Seeds version of this one. And I know Live Seeds was recorded with a lot of this material because Cave wanted to approach it in his own way like you had mentioned he was unhappy with the production i find this song better on the live version because i think it has more menace and fewer strings (laughs) other than that i this is a great song and this is again this is the storytelling approach this is the character study the violence to it it's just this is if if you had to just 
explain Nick Cave to somebody, you could play this song and I think they would get the idea. Mm-hmm. And I think is uh, definitely a highlight of the album, even if I do go for the live seats version more often. One of the things I would say uh, about Henry's Dream and, and specifically with this song is that when they did all those special editions with uh, the DVD audio with the surround sound and stuff, that uh, Henry's Dream is to me the one you want to buy and you want to hear the surround mix of because that's where I think you see the difference in Briggs's vision versus Cave's vision of the material. And the thing that I think Cave to this day like still doesn't see with this material is, is that Briggs is a, has a romanticism to him that uh, I mean, he's dead now, but um, he, he was uh, mainly known as being a guy in the Neil Young camp and He's basically like the guy who like, you know, is like the cool friend who always hangs out in your camp. And and like whenever he says something like you probably want to pay attention to what he's saying, because it usually is like it's not an opinion he's throwing out there for no reason. And I think with, when he heard this music, like the band, you know, is trying to present this just like stripped down and everything. But he puts all these like grand strings and it's like everything is surrounding and I And I think that with the mix of this particular song, even though it's, uh, it's deviating from cave's vision of it, the, the grandiosity of it, uh, I find to be remarkable. And I like the strings and how everything plays in with, with the narrative and frenzied build of that orchestra to the point where it just like, it explodes with that, ending with that like calm and beautiful ending this violent thing that's happened (laughs) 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 and it's it's just such a strange thing it's like this lush beautiful ending to this terrible story that actually coasts quite beautifully into the next track so then we'll go on to the next track which is loom of the land uh, as you mentioned a little bit earlier this is one that uh, you have a tendency to just sing <laughs> yeah at, at the time i i used to just i i used to just burst out in into the oh baby please don't cry just because i i just loved especially if i was on the racquetball course i just loved hearing the echo of my voice like singing this you know <laughs> big grandiose proclamation I think this is a contender for me of like one of the most beautiful songs he's ever written, period. Uh, it's it's right up there for me. He does so much with so little sometimes. Just, just the opening line to this song, it was the dirty end of winter. And how that tell that says so much in that first line, you know, it's the dirty end of winter along the loom of the land. I know where we are. I know what's going on. And again, it's not deep or something, but it just tells you know where you are. You know where you're standing in this song. And it is it is a beautiful song. And that brings us to the final track, track nine, Jack the Ripper. This is again. I know you mentioned earlier you're not a big fan of this one, but. This is kind of like where this is the sweet spot sometimes with me with Nick Cave, you know, the violent, psychosexual, confusing <laughs> kind of uh, thing. And I wonder, I'm a bit of a sucker for finishing albums on kind of a slower note, like the, the slower, the sad song. And I always wonder, like, if they were if they were to have flipped eight and nine. So if it would go from John Finn's wife to Jack the Ripper and then finish with Loom of the Land, how that 
different that would be. I don't feel like it would work. I I feel like Jack the Ripper is is the note for this record to end on. I feel like that's pretty pretty well placed. Like to me, Loom of the Land is the the penultimate track. I feel like you you need some somewhere else to go from there. That's just my own personal feeling. And I haven't actually listened to it because there there have been times during this where I will make a little playlist and I'll, I'll shuffle things around to see if I like something better or worse. And I haven't done that with this because I, I like the song and going out a lot of times it's just more of a curiosity we get so locked into how an album is and that's fine. Somebody spent a lot of time <laughs> putting that together. I don't think anybody just, all right, here's nine tracks, put them in any order you want. Obviously there's a, there's a purpose behind it. Yeah. But I think every once in a while I wonder like, ah, if this would have been here instead of there, would I like it more? This is definitely a, a Nick Cave track. This is what, what sells the tickets I think right here. But <laughs> what, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it about this song that you don't particularly like? It's, it's not that I don't like it. It's that it's uh, to me, it's one of the more slight songs of the record. It's not as substantive to me as the other tracks is but it's it's perfect in what it is because it's just it's just meant to wrap everything up and it and it does it with a bang that it does it's a good one and i think the live version of this one is is really strong as well there's just the build and i think one of the things that we've seen throughout this album well we've seen really throughout uh, his career is he really knows how to build tension and i think this is another one that does that not quite to the level of the opener or brother my cup is empty or anything i think that's one of nick cave's strong points along with you know subject matter and because just the way he writes and i don't know if this is meant to be a song cycle which it starts out feeling like it's going to be you know with the name of the album and then papa won't leave you henry and i had a dream but i don't think it really goes through i don't think every track uh is meant to tell one one story or anything yeah christina the astonishing doesn't really fit into the scheme of things <laughs> yeah so i wonder if it was something that maybe was thought of at first or eh, just little song cycles in two tracks it doesn't have to be every single one if i put this one on generally unless because if i'm in a nitpick I'll probably just throw in live seeds <laughs> mm-hmm. but if i put this on it's because i want to hear this whole thing which i will use that also as my final thoughts do you have any final thoughts about this one steve no i i would just say um if you have not listened to this album and you have an interest in nick cave my own personal opinion is this is the one that you need to listen to and if you are into the whole surround audio stuff, then, you know, find yourself a copy of the DVD audio that has the surround mix on it. So you can just crank it up and, and really get the feeling of it, it. To me, it feels like being in the studio and, that, and you have the band surrounding you when you have a surround system set up and, and you're listening to this album that way. It's like being dead in the center of the studio and just like having this whole thing sweep around you and i think that's when you can really experience this album and and see the strength of it where other people don't seem to this is not one of his most popular albums and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the band themselves have eh, over the years about it because it didn't turn out the way they wanted but you know they're wrong (laughs) you've touched on this a few times that it's remarkable he hasn't come around to it uh that he hasn't been able to see the producer's vision for what it is right i feel like people like this album i mean it's let's say let love in or murder ballads which i think are a little bit more you know if people don't know nick cave well they probably know those two those two albums but sure i still feel like this is a bit of a fan favorite and i think people who like nick cave like this record even though 
Cave doesn't like this record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting like that that there has been no uh, artist assessment of of coming around. You know, with where to throw another type of story like this with XTC with their album Skylarking. You know, it was always a fan favorite, and they were always well, it didn't quite turn out the way that we planned it. And the reason was because Todd Rundgren, who produced that album, screwed something up in the uh, final mixing stages and reversed the polarity of something so that about a third of the fullness of the sound of that album was missing. And they found the mistake, you know, several years later, like 20 years later or whatever, and finally like fixed it. And then Andy Partridge was like, oh, well, now it sounds like we remembered it when we were doing it. <laughs> and they, they've been able to appreciate that the fans are so rabid because they finally got what was missing and be, because it turned out there was a problem in, in all of it. But so it's not, it's not something like that. There's not something that is missing. In fact, if anything, it's like there's, there's too much there. That was, that was probably why they didn't appreciate it. They, they wanted it stripped down. So it's probably they prefer the live seeds versions because there's no orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe it, that's even been stated outright. I think that was the point. That's why so many tracks from this album are on that live album. Steve Pettit, thank you so much for joining the show. I appreciate you coming to talk to me about Henry's Dream from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. I appreciate you having me. And we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record, now available on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please subscribe, share, and comment. For this and other podcasts, please check out www.lovethisrecord.com, where you can also sign up for our monthly newsletter. If you would like to co-host an episode, write to me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, we are lovethisrecord1. Facebook and Pinterest, we are Love This Record. Music at the top and bottom by The Ashes of Grissom. Special thanks to original patron Mark Evers for getting this podcast back on track. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye.